now here we go. Hello and welcome to Parents Just Don't Understand. I am your host, Kurt. And tonight we are talking about music for kids, whether that is music that was designed for kids or regular music that can serve the same purpose. And we are joined tonight by a very special guest from a podcast that is all about one band in particular that I think has an unusually rich history of hitting both of those definitions. And so joining us from This Might Be a Podcast, a podcast all about They Might Be Giants, it's Greg Simpson. Greg, welcome to the show. Hey, Kurt. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, excited to be here because uh, kids' music is kind of what I do. Yeah, and I was I was uh, I was excited and surprised to, uh, to to learn that when we first started started talking that you are a music teacher among among other things. Yeah, you're like so you know they might be giants kids albums. I'm like, yeah, but also that's how I make my living is kids songs. So. <laughs> <laughs> So it worked yeah. out, yeah. <laughs> I, I I was super excited to get into this topic, um, especially once I found out that you were a music teacher, um, because I think music is something that I have wanted to get into on this particular podcast uh, for a really long time, because it played such a big role in my life growing up, um, and I think it's such a big role in most kids' childhoods, and it's one of those things where, like, you know, there's such there's such an opportunity to be exposed to to different and weird things that really fundamentally can shape the experience of your childhood in a way that you don't you don't realize until much later sometimes. Oh yeah, most definitely. And I'm so glad that my parents have really good taste in music. <laughs> I think it started me off on a pretty good path. So. Yeah. yeah, so th- that's that's actually where where I was going to go first. Um, was so you know we we always like to ask people about you know what their own childhood was and especially what their engagement with the the media in question was. And I guess the media in question for this episode is is music. Uh, so I mean you know just to to get us started, like what what what, what was the music of your childhood? Um, so my parents both loved the Beatles. And I've since inherited a bunch of their. I have I have two copies of the the uh, forty five of the the double A size they call it Penny Lane and Strawberry Fields Forever. I have two copies of that on forty five. So my parents both uh, kept their records and all this. You know, my dad had all his Beatles records. Um, my dad also listened to a lot of uh, David Bowie, particularly the early stuff, um, the Who who quickly became one of my favorite bands when I started, you know, buying my own media. And so we're talking, I mean, I was born in 1981. So like I first came up, you know, I was listening to everything they listened to, obviously in the car. I remember a couple songs in particular, really liking Bowie. Um, I really liked changes and I don't know if it was the change it. Like it was just really mm-hmm. fun to me. And I remember also on the radio, uh, Dire Straits, um, The Walk of Life, the keyboard line, something oh, yeah. about that stuck out, doo-doo, 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 a woo, like that woo, like that little thing. Like To me, <laughs> that was another one, like another adult song I remember sticking with me. And years later, I'm like, Dad, who was that? Who was that? Like it was just on the radio or whatever. Oh, yeah, Dire, dire Straits. 
Yeah, great, I great I definitely album. remember uh, Walk of Life. Um, as, as as soon as you did the keyboard, I was like, yes, yes, I, I remember that definitely from my childhood. So um, catchy. It's it's funny that you mentioned the Who because um, so my my dad uh, so I, I was born in '83, so not you know not not all that different of of an era musically. That's um, my wife's the the birth year of my wife. Yes, yeah, '83, and, and my sister. My my dad, uh, I, I think, was was playing very much the same music. I, I would say, you know, I, I would add on top of that, I grew up with a lot of uh, Beach Boys and Credence, um, especially yeah, yeah. Credence. I remember a ton of Credence, um, but also definitely The Who. My, my dad is a huge fan of The Who. Um, and he always would uh, sing uh, Boris the Spider. Um, <laughs> and and it, Boris it used to make me. Boris the Spider. He's up above my head Hanging by a little friend Boris the Spider Boris the Spider Yeah, it's now such a... I, I, it's, it's funny because <laughs> un, until you mentioned The Who, it hadn't occurred to me that that's, that's like, like a perfect gr- grown-up song as kids song. Because um, it's so it's so cartoony and it's like a silly voice, and it's slightly creepy, which which I think is a quality that yeah, a lot man. of kids songs have. The Who, one thing that was so great about the Beatles and the Who, is that all four of the members of both of those bands would get on lead vocals and they would write songs. So like there were these multiple personalities. Like the Who is especially known as like four guys who might not have been friends are somehow in a band. Like, I mean, and that's why they were so kind of explosive and there were so many, you know, fights between them and all these crazy antics. Like there were four very different guys. And that was, um, and that was, uh, Pete Entwistle, the, the bassist, he sang Boris, the spider, you know, he did not do lead vocals a whole lot. Mm -hmm. Um, but that was one of his songs. And now it occurred to me that I should do a mashup between Boris the Spider and the They Might Be Giant song, Spider. Oh, yeah. Because those would <laughs> go pretty well. <laughs> Boris the Spider, I promise not to kill you. <laughs> and, yeah. And I love The Who. I remember, yeah, another another vivid memory I have of, um, so, so Tommy really spoke to me when I was a kid. Yes. I mean, it's about a kid who has all these disabilities, right? Um, deaf blind and as they would say then dumb deaf blind and dumb right because he couldn't talk whatever mm-hmm. mute you know and so but he was really good at pinball and I mean the story is extremely dark like I'm sure my dad didn't explain to me that like he was getting molested I mean that was part of the story it was a very dark story um, to make you know people say it might not be the first rock opera but it's the first I mean basically it's first rock opera because it's the first one that everyone knows this was a right. rock opera and so when i was little buying cassettes i'd buy like weird al mc hammer the teenage mutant ninja turtles secret <laughs> of the use soundtrack but then when i started buying cds um the first cds i were i was buying was stuff that my parents owned and this is like in fifth or sixth grade when probably most kids are starting to like rebel against their parents taste and i'm like they want to listen to the new stuff, the pop stuff. But the first two CDs I bought were Magical Mystery Tour and the Who Who's Next. And then and then I owned the double CD of of Tommy. And I remember in music class in sixth grade, I don't know if the music teacher was just feeling lazy that day or what, but they're like, Oh, you get to she was like, You get to bring in your own it has to be school appropriate, but you can bring in your own <laughs> music and play play one song for the class. And so 
I mean, what it must have been like 92, 93. I feel like people were playing like House of Pain or like some other stuff. I don't even know. I, TLC, Salt and Pepper. I don't even know. But I go in there and I play Pinball Wizard. And like it starts off with acoustic guitar. And all the other kids are like, what is this? What is this wussy stuff? Yeah. But then, like that big electric guitar comes in. I'm like, "You guys are dumb. This is this is real music." You know, I'm playing something from 1968, and they're playing all this stuff that probably came out like that year or the year prior. I'm like, "You guys don't know shit." I was already the music snob. And I was like, <laughs> I was like 12, 13. You I can't know? believe you guys don't appreciate the polyrhythms in this. Yeah, I mean, come on, the pinball wizard. This kid, you know, it's a whole story, man. You're not getting the whole the whole concept. <laughs> yeah, I I actually I actually saw uh, a like touring performance of Tommy when I was probably like I don't know I I must have been about nine or ten. Um, nice. And uh, I I was it it was here in in Philly, and I remember that at one point the 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 actor playing playing the lead role like was climbing up on this gantry that was like on the side of the stage. Yeah. And of course, you know they they had the the kind of like the kind of like like show orchestra plus rock band that's like very common now but at the time i thought it was like the coolest thing i'd ever seen um, oh very, yeah that makes that's a whole memory. big big budget production i mean yeah it seemed like later you were seeing like yeah i mean like metallica performs with the such and such orchestra or whatever but yeah that's um that sounds awesome yeah, it was it was really cool, and um, actually, I you know you you mentioned uh, Metallica. I, I didn't get into Metallica until quite a bit later, but uh, I was very early. It, my my music tastes were very confused and eclectic as, as a kid, but there were specific bands that I knew and liked, um, and one of them was Black Sabbath, and I specifically liked oh, yeah. the song Iron Man. So I my my of first course. two CDs were that that like that Queen's Greatest Hits album that everybody had. Oh yeah. Um, and then uh, um, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, uh, mm-hmm. and then I also had like a Black Sabbath like compilation. Um, and so uh, I like, had Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, and then after Green Day and Rancid and Offspring, oh, yeah. I went into an all punk phase and sold it. I never bought Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath back because then I had a thing against greatest hit CDs. I was too good, you know. I only bought albums, so I never bought that one back. But I've since bought back most of Black Sabbath's catalog. But at the time, I just sold off like anything I deemed not punk, which to <laughs> me, Black Sabbath wasn't punk enough. I guess I don't know. I was like, you can't skateboard to this. I yeah, don't know. Kids- that's just my memory of that album. But that was, that's a good. That's a good compilation. Kids' understanding of pop music is very confused um, oh, yeah. because, like, you have no sense of uh, period or time. So, like, right. if something like, like, for all I knew, uh, the Beach Boys could have been still putting out music. And actually, I mean, technically, they kind well, of were. Like, Kokomo came <laughs> yeah. out in what, like, like eighty seven. Oh God, Mike Love is the worst. Yeah. <laughs> that guy sucks. God, can you think about all the greatness that could have happened? I mean. For one, if they didn't do LSD, or at least Brian Wilson didn't do LSD and fuck his fragile brain up, but then Mike Love being like, no, we need more songs about surfing. Be like, dude, I'm doing like whole orchestrations with these huge cannon rounds of vocals, (laughs) and he's like, no, it's too complicated. Shut up, dude. You're fucking worst. (laughs) 
So we've we've talked a whole bunch about. Am I allowed to like, swear on this podcast? You can swear. Yeah, yeah, oh, okay. you can absolutely swear. It's isn't it's, it's not a parents. hard rule. You know, I yeah, okay. I uh, I kind of have like a parent voice that I I have developed that that prevents my brain from swearing unless I'm typing. Um, but it's <laughs> it's it's not a hard and fast <laughs> well, rule. Well, think about this: forty <laughs> hours a week, I'm in an elementary school. Yeah, not swearing. <laughs> when when I come home, baby, when I get on the microphone, <laughs> you better watch out. Yeah, real, real dark podcasting hours. Yeah, we got the explicit logo next to our <laughs> Might Be Giants podcast, a band that never swears, but live, their banter, it's the same way. They don't swear like at all in their songs, adult songs, kid songs, um, but between sets, they will, or between songs, they will get very political and they will get very uh, cursed like sailors, yes, so, <laughs> kind so of not, the same way. Not to get too far ahead, because I... I I was I was almost to they might be giants, but um, but I I have I I will say uh, I've seen them only once, and mm-hmm. um, one of the Johns I get them confused. Uh, one of the Johns seemed like he didn't want to be there, and the other was super into it. So uh, probably John Linnell, John Linnell, the keyboardist and accordionist. He's the introvert of the group. Flansburg, the guitarist with the glasses. He um, I mean they both wear glasses now. They're old, but typically on stage. Uh, yeah, Linnell is the skinnier one with no glasses. Flansburg's the stockier one with glasses. No, um, it was it was the inverse. It was the inverse. Really? Linnell was super pumped up. So it, it was at the X, uh, XPN Music Festival probably about nine years ago now, ten yeah? years ago. Huh. Um, and Linnell was super engaged, uh, was super into everything going on. And Flansburg seemed like he was probably just having a rough day, or or it was it was like really huh. hot. They were playing like late in the evening, so I, I'm sure that it was not like not a super you know easy uh, set to be playing so so it was it was outside it was it outside was a big too, festival yeah. thing those are rough yeah man i've i mean i've never been in a really popular band but playing outside is such a gamble and it could be such a shit show i mean even if it's not like raining or something you get out there if it's cold you're trying to play the guitar with cold fingers it's really hot you're sweating all over your shit it's t- sorry i keep swearing that's okay it's okay <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think about what album they would have been touring on in 10 um, years ago. They had, uh, it was, um, what's it called? Uh, the Else? That, yes, yes, it was The Else, because that, that's the one uh, that uh, Paleontologist is on, I, I believe, right? Uh, no, The Else is an adult album. Here Comes Science from 2009 had Paleontologist on it. Oh, okay, so so then... So yeah, 10 years ago. They they just, they played Paleontologist, but they mentioned that it was like a new song. Um, so it must have been around around then, ah, okay. uh, re- regardless. So maybe before the album came out, possibly getting, yeah. Getting a preview. That is one of my first graders' favorite songs. So let's let's go right into that. Um, yeah. My, sorry, my, I keep my, jumping. My to, first big yeah. no. My my first big topical question was, uh, what what in your opinion makes for good kids music? As someone who, as you have oh, said, that boy. is your entire life. Yeah. Um. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, ever since. You know, when I was 18, I somehow was like, you know, I was a band kid. I played trombone in band. That was like my scholarship instrument. I also played, started taking drum lessons in eighth grade then and was playing in rock bands outside of school. So music has just been, you know, I played baseball. I was a skateboarder, like all that stuff. But music, like I got into college and I decided on my major like a month in, like most kids are like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I'm like music teacher. And then it worked out. So, like, I mean, I'm 38 now, and I decided to be a music teacher when I was 18, so that's insane. Um, So, 
you just asked a question that like, okay, how many days you got to record, man? Because <laughs> it's like, that's like way too broad. What makes good kids music? There are, you know, I feel like for one, that, that answer is really, it, it is so broad because I think there's so many things that make good kids music. And honestly, like there's a lot of kids albums I like, of course, the, um, they might be Giants kids albums. Also, Danny Weinkoff, their bass player, has his own all kids music band called the Red Pants Band. Danny Weinkoff and the Red Pants Band they have four albums as well. So between the two, you can have nine kids albums that are mm-hmm. they might be Giants related. Um, but I also think kids should listen to everything. And I mean, barring stuff that like promotes a lot of violence or sexual stuff. I mean, you know, lyrical content aside. I think you should expose kids to every genre, including even like heavy metal or whatever. If you're if you as a parent are into heavy metal and you let them listen to heavy metal, they're going to like it. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. when they're a teenager, they'll like buck that and be like, I'm into the indigo, indigo girls now because <laughs> I'm going to go the opposite way of my parents. You know, that happens, I feel like, with every teenager. I only listen to Neutral Milk Hotel now, Dad. Oh hell yeah! I'd, I'd, you know, I'd be like, oh yeah. I, did I did I mention I play the singing saw? Um, I've been in Neutral Milk Hotel cover bands on two separate occasions um, with my wife on trumpet. So um, yeah, big fan of them too. I could do a podcast about them, but they have much fewer songs than they might be giants. Uh, so I think I was just talking about this um, in Go Figure, a They Might Be Giants fan Facebook group called Miscellaneous Tea. Shout-outs to Miscellaneous T, the biggest fan Facebook group for the MF Giants on Facebook. And someone was talking about, oh, yeah, they were making a Spotify playlist. And they're like, guys, what are the best kid songs and what are the best non-TMBG uh, kid songs? They were trying to make a playlist for their kid to listen to and not just be off the kids' albums. Like, what are the best adult songs for kids to listen to? And pretty much everyone was like, just everything, man. Just put whatever <laughs> on. You know, that was like the consensus. And at the time, I mean, this was only a couple of weeks ago, I was going through a huge Sonic Youth kick. I'm a big fan of, I grew up skateboarding, all this stuff I heard from skate videos, like all this like early 90s, you know, right around pre-Nirvana breaking and post-Nirvana breaking, like that's like my bread and butter, like my middle school, early high school years, um, kind of that punk uh you know, on the outskirts of punk kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm listening to all this Sonic Youth, and to me dissonance is cool like i love a good pop melody but i also love just their weirdly tuned guitars and like how they can put a melody over top of like the most bizarre little riffs and like these intertwining lines that are that most people would listen to and like recoil in horror be like this isn't music what is this turn it off but like you know i'm playing it i'm just making like a spotify playlist of my favorite stuff and Zinnia's just sitting there playing, and she's, like, bopping her head along. And it just occurred to me, like, you know, even though she can't say more than a few words right now, and we can't really, you know, she'll nod when I ask her something or shake her head, you know, and, you know, we can have a conversation like that. At this point, she's not like, ew, Dad, turn that off. Or she's not, like, <laughs> crawling. And she's not, like, walking out of the room like, ew, what is this? I could put on a They Might Be Giants kids song. That's super poppy and about something educational. Or I could put on the album Goo and listen to Kim Gordon sing Cool Thing and just talk about, you know, singing about feminism and stuff. And I think that's what 
every kid and every little girl should listen to a badass rocker chick singing this anthem with playing a just distorted bass loud as hell and why can't that be kids music i mean yeah like i said other than other than lyrical content kids should listen to everything she was hanging out while i was watching as part of my boning up on my jazz stuff for this black history uh, month unit i do with my fifth graders i was rewatching a bunch of the ken burns jazz documentary just she's there listening to like scratchy dixieland jazz recordings you know i mean you should expose kids to everything. And I posted in this group about that. I'm like, kids will think um, if you play a wide range of things for your kids, they'll think it's normal. You know, eventually they'll form their own tastes and they might veer off one way or the other. Like I veered off into punk and sold everything else, but eventually came back around to Bowie and whatever else. And um, But if you give them a huge range of options they're not going to think anything's bizarre if you don't treat it like bizarre. It's like with food and like, mm-hmm. you know, I have a year and a half, you know, an 18 month old and we try to get her to eat as much stuff that we eat as she can with like, you know, six teeth, you know, eight teeth, whatever, <laughs> she's getting, you know, a bunch of teeth half come in, you know, um, just so that like she's eaten Indian food. We don't get it too spicy. She'll, she'll eat Indian food. She'll eat, you know, our Chinese food leftovers. Just like if you tell a kid, oh, mac and cheese is kid food, then they're only going to want mac and cheese. And now you're stuck in a corner making mac and cheese while uh, you're trying to cook your own dinner. And if you have to, you have to cook a second dinner for the kid because you've taught them that mac and cheese and peanut butter and jelly are the only things that kids are supposed to like. It's like that with music. If you're like, you're only supposed to listen to happy stuff that has little twinkly things in it and whatever. And no, this this uh, white snake is for mommies and daddies. <laughs> I don't know. It's an old family guy joke. Um, <laughs> that's music for mommies and daddies. Um, like outside of like, you know, I love Public Enemy or NWA or whatever else. You know, lyrical, maybe you got to wait till you're older. But genre wise, don't be like, oh, you listen to this. Dad's going to go listen to his music. You can't listen to that. Why not? You know? So so long answer short, basically, everything can be good kids' music. Now, there's certain things that I teach in school that, as a teacher, you got to narrow it down a little bit more because um, as a parent, you might be able to say, what the hell, in front of your kid, but I can't say that in school. And the same goes for music. You got to filter it a little bit more just so there aren't angry calls to the principal <laughs> because everyone's, again, all of us parents are different and have different set of like standards or morals or whatever or religious backgrounds, all this stuff. You know, everyone parents in their own way. So when I'm at school, obviously, I'm not going to play something that has questionable content or whatever. But again, it's mostly lyrical, you mm-hmm. know. I expose my kids to everything. Like I said, we did this Black History Month. We talk about, you know, slave spirituals all the way up to, you know, the birth of hip-hop. And we cover, I try to let them listen to as much early hip-hop as they can. Most of it has safer lyrics. And then they know where the hip-hop they listen to now comes from, you know. Um, And my sixth graders are currently doing genre reports. And so I I got kids doing country western, because that's what you used to call it, not just country. And... So they all like Blake Shelton or whatever the hell kids, you know, they listen to now. And I'm like, well, you know who Hank Williams is, right? And they're like, no. I'm like, well, 
Time to do some research. So they're on their <laughs> iPads doing, you know, they're writing me. It's a seven-paragraph essay, and then they're making a poster. And I'm like, if you don't have a paragraph about Hank Williams in there, I'm taking points <laughs> off. So I'm, like, making them learn. I'm like, you know who Johnny Cash is, right? Yeah. Do you know who his wife was? Oh, yeah, June Carter Cash. Do you know who her mom was? No. Mother Mabel. Mabel Carter invented the style of guitar picking that went on for country music. For So I'm, I'm trying to, like, march it back to the stuff, like, because they might not be listening to the classics like we were. They might not have grown up on The Who. I mean, I do have a poster in the back of my music room of Pete, of, uh, uh, Pete Townsend uh, breaking his guitar on his amplifier. And they're like, why is that guy breaking his guitar? I'm like, because it's cool. <laughs> and he's rich, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And so basically, I try to expose even my students to everything that will not get me in trouble uh, of every genre. And for the littlest kids, it tends to be more kind of little kiddish music, you know, um, but still doing the classics. Like I sent you a bunch of links to Woody Guthrie and Pete Seeger stuff. Um, yep. even, fur- even further back to songs that they don't know. Songs that are so old, we don't know who wrote them, you know? Um, yeah, and I'm I'm definitely excited to get to talking about about folk, um, there were there were a couple yeah. things that you touched on that I, I wanted I wanted to to, to jump back to um, your point about uh, the the formation of the concept of normalcy I think is really really key with with music because I mean so we we went out of our way to not play kids music um, yeah. for our kids mostly because we figured and we were correct ultimately that they would get exposed to that at daycare and so they were going to get that yeah. regardless and so we may as well just play whatever the heck we felt like as long as it was relatively appropriate what once yeah. they became verbal when they're pre-verbal um i i went out of my way to play really loud obnoxious music under the theory <laughs> and this is i have this theory that all dads eventually uh, acquire a a single weird idea that is not scientifically falsifiable <laughs> and that they adhere to for the rest of their lives. And so, <laughs> so wait, and, explain what? So, yeah, continue. So, I'm, so, I'm so my my weird idea that I will adhere to for the rest of my life is that if you play loud music at a baby, they get used to loud sounds and they sleep better. I I, I don't yes. know that I believe that that is necessarily true. Um, but it well, works okay. for me. <laughs> I have I have evidence of this being true. So um, it helps that the setup of, of our house works out pretty well. But like I said, I have a recording studio here in my basement. Our house is very old. It has two basements. I think they decided not to connect them when they built on an addition, probably because of structural issues. But we have an old uh, four square built in the 1890s, plaster walls, solid wood doors. And then a one-story addition coming off the back that has the finished basement where my studio is. Also, I have two very loud bands that both practice here. We practice, uh, Outdoor Valor practices after she goes to bed on Monday nights. And Doppelpopolis will practice while she's napping on Saturday or Sunday. Now, my wife is a professor. She's a Spanish professor, but she's an academic and a rabid just digester of all things literature any book she can just tear through it and like fully absorb it and so while she was pregnant and while she was on maternity leave she is just reading like 
not like mommy blogs or whatever the hell. She's reading like sleep study data and like reading mm-hmm. all these books by doctors and stuff. And so we have this like, you know, and I'm just like, honey, just give me the right reader's digest. What do we do? What do I do? You know, and then so we have this, um, you know, and, and yeah, I, I play plenty of loud music. And she, I'll be doing like a drum lesson downstairs and she's upstairs eating and hearing, you know, full drum set, you know, coming up the stairs. And um, when we put her to bed, we have a sound machine, which like when we're putting her, when we're getting her ready, like tonight, she took a bath and we're, when we're getting her ready, getting her all lotioned up, diapered up in her pajamas, there's like a little, you know, little rain sounds. And then after you read her, you a couple of stories. You tap it, it turns to white noise, and it's just like, <sighs> all night. And, you know, they say in all those books that, like, kids like noise because when they're in the womb, yep. for, yeah. for nine months, it's just like, <laughs> just like, you know, the mom's digestive system and, like, sounds being filtered through her, you know, belly into the womb. And so they like that noise, and so she's slept with the noise machine since day one. And now down in the basement, so that we're practicing, she's up uh, on the second floor with the sound machine on. We're, we're blasting guitars, full drums, vocals through a PA system. She sleeps through it every Monday night. We put her down around 7. We practice at 7.30. She's never once woken up. Saturdays, my other band practices. She's never once woken up from her nap, and we are not holding back volume-wise. So I think, like, the little, like, Maybe she's hearing a little bit of that backbeat mm-hmm. as we're playing, but she's just so used to noise, and we don't tiptoe past her room. We walk past the room, we talk, whatever, you know, try to just keep that din, that just, like, volume level. The world is a loud place, and you got to get used to that level of noise. It's nice to be perfectly quiet now and then, and, and you know, we're not always blasting her with volume, but, like... uh the world's a noisy place. You go walking down the street, there's cars all over the place, you know. You shouldn't get used to like like catacomb level of silence when you're sleeping. I must have complete silence mm-hmm. and complete darkness or I can't get a <laughs> wink of sleep. I mean, come on. No adult could sleep like that. I mean, you're never going to get complete silence or complete darkness or at least very rarely. So why get your baby used to that? I mean, that's just my crazy theory, and it's mostly from my wife reading all these books and saying, we're going to put her down at this time, we're going to do this, then this, then this, put her down. She sleeps 12, 13 hours straight every night. I leave for work, and she hasn't gotten up yet. I mean, I don't see her in the morning because she sleeps too late. Mm -hmm. Whose baby does that? But, like, I can get ready in the morning, run the shower, whatever. She doesn't wake up. I mean, I think that noise thing and loud music definitely helps and us playing instruments around her helps. And because um, you guys said, do you guys play? Do you guys play anything? Oh, so that's that's something uh, that I was I I, I was I, I'm glad that you brought it up because I was thinking of uh, of a way to awkwardly transition to it. Yes. Um, yeah. So I play. I grew up playing a ton of instruments. Um, none of them especially well. Um, I I took piano lessons for a few years, um, but we didn't really have space for even like like a decent keyboard. Um, but, uh, I, I play, I play, uh, mountain dulcimer. I play mandolin. Nice. 
Um, I play okay. So you like a bluegrass guy? Uh, I so so I grew up um, going to a folk retreat. It was actually specifically a like Appalachian mountain music retreat nice. for uh, like I think it was a four day thing. Uh, pretty much every year from the time that I was like four until I think maybe I was like eleven or twelve the last year that we went. Um, and what it was was basically like a bunch of you know aging although at the time not not as aging uh hippies who got very into folk music and they would yeah. just kind of get together and jam and do workshops on you know you could go and do like banjo lessons for beginners and they would even have oh, like you know kids stuff and then they would have banjo lessons level two and banjo lessons level three and then like advanced banjo lessons where you know you'd have man. like you know bela fleck three neck banjos i don't know but but, uh, but <laughs> so um, wait did you grow up in philly too was uh, this I, I grew up just outside of philly yeah okay so this was in well my my parents are from pittsburgh so i spent a lot of time on the other side of the state yep. um i mean they moved to chicago and I, I grew up in chicago and chicago is not known for its folk scene necessarily mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's a big city or whatever i'm sure you could find stuff if you knew where to look but i was i came up in you know, classical and marching band mm-hmm. music, but that sounds amazing. I I didn't play an instrument until fifth grade. My mom tells me, and she likes to remind me that I turned down piano lessons at like the age <laughs> of five. I was I was like a painter. She thought I was going to be a visual artist. I took all these art classes, you know, charcoals, pastels, painting, you know, watercolors, you know, ink, you know everything. And love drawing comic books, all this stuff. But then it just gradually, you know, it's the same part of that part of your brain. Yeah. Uh, I still love to doodle. I still am a great art appreciator. I just eventually veered towards music. But I turned down piano lessons at five. Didn't really take up an instrument until I was 10, taking trombone. But to me, right now, as an adult... Going to this folk camp sounds like the best thing ever. Did you appreciate it as a kid? I, or I like, absolutely loved it. Do I have to go it. again? I absolutely okay. loved it. It was like the best thing um, because like it was just, I, I mean, it was all these like super laid back, you know, hippie types who were like, yeah. you know, they were they were in like their 40s at this time. Like like probably the youngest would be like about as old as we are through, to, you know, their late 40s, early 50s. Uh, kind of you know like like crunchy guys with beards who played like upright bass. Uh, it was it was all yeah. all acoustic. That was the rule. No nothing electric allowed. Period. <laughs> Sorry, it just made me think of I don't know. Do you watch any of those Adult Swim shows? I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you ever watch Metalocalypse? Yes, yes, I did. <laughs> Gra- the, those are grandpa's, grandpa's guitars. guitars. Grandpa's <laughs> 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 I don't even remember what the conceit was that they ended up having to play. Like they had never touched an acoustic guitar before. Yeah, it was the grandpa's guitars. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. It was. This was. This was all. All grandpa's guitars. Although, and this great. is this is what I was working around to. I never could. I, I never could develop like the the muscle dexterity to um to fret a six string until the last two years when I I really I, I decided that if I was going to be a dad, I had to play guitar. Um, nice. And I was yeah, like, okay. I, I, I need to be able to be the dad who can play guitar, if only badly, um, just so that, like, if we're camping or something, you know, I can get out the guitar and I can play the guitar. And so I actually started playing a, um, uh, it's called like a Seagull Merlin. It's basically a, it's it's uh, fretted and strung like a uh, mountain dulcimer, 
um, but it's 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 inverted, uh, so it's strung like a guitar. I'm, I'm looking at one right now. Okay, so you know exactly okay. what I'm talking about. And well, and now then, I do. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that that helped me eventually get up to where n- now I can actually you know like fret and passively play chords and everything on an acoustic. Um, nice. But but it was it was a long process. But um, you know back to like music lessons as a kid, I did very very formal like recital piano lessons um sure you know and and i would go and play in like competitions um where you would be judged on like the straightness of your back and uh. your hand posture and you know it would be like a stern old uh british person who would come and like check how much <laughs> how much space was between your palm and uh and like the keyboard oh, to make sure God. that you you had you know the, the 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 correct posture that was pleasing to the queen of england i guess um, and uh, why were they British? <laughs> I don't know. It, it was it was it was not fun. I'm glad that I did it because I, I got I got a really good education in, um, you know, like music fundamentals and like very basic music theory that I, I've has has been useful throughout my life. Um, but in terms of fun, looking back, I probably would have had more fun if I just taken like guitar lessons or something. Yeah. You know, I mean. So I've taught private lessons for most of my career, too. And, you know, there were times when we were shorter on cash and I would teach more lessons. I was up to like 16 students at one point on every because I can play. I mean, going to school for music, you take methods classes in everything. I have my specialties, though, but I would be teaching drums, piano, guitar. I had a banjo student at one point. I had a cello student. I had violin students. I taught orchestra. I taught beginning band. But like... um even with guitar lessons, you got to find that, I mean, I was always the rock and roll guy, but I was also a formally educated classical musician who has a music, K-12 to music education degree and certifications and other music, you know, uh, pedagogical, pedagogical techniques. And um, so I always tried to find that balance between... You know, I mean, posture is important when you're playing a wind instrument, especially. Um, and you don't want a kid to look like a total slacker, but like, you also don't want to like hit them with the ruler. Yeah, when no. <laughs> you know, I mean, so I'd always try to find that that balance, and also like in during a half hour lesson, you're doing stuff that's teaching technique, but then there's a payoff at the end, like, oh, you know, it's only your third guitar lesson but we're going to learn, you know, smoke on the water or whatever, you know, something that they know or like, what's the song you want to eventually learn? And then you, you gather their tastes and find something that can kind of get them on the way to that. But you're also teaching proper fingerings on the guitar and strumming techniques and all that. It's it's a hard, hard line to, it, it's a hard balance, but I think, yeah, as the rock and roll music teacher, I think I come in at a kind of unique angle in that I've performed and learned music of pretty much every genre. I'm familiar with so many genres. I don't look down my nose at any genre, except maybe dubstep. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even that, you know, I'll find any genre music and try to analyze it like, OK, what makes people like this or what makes kids like this? Like right now, my big thing is is finding out what makes Billie Eilish's music tick. And like, I mean, her brother writes most of it and produces it. And it's very interesting to me, like, okay, kids really, really are connecting with this song or this particular musician. What about it 
what makes it tick? What makes it a good song? What makes it stick with them? And then you can use those, you know, that's like your little your little expedition to like figure out what kids like. And then you can kind of build from there to stuff that's more historically significant or there's more to draw from theoretically or, you know, th- these are these are things I think about way too much, but it kind of comes naturally to me at this point, having taught for so long. But I think finding out with private lessons or with music class, I'm going to teach them the things that are important and that will make them a good future musician or at least a music appreciator. But I'm also going to listen to their opinions because the kids will keep me hip. I don't listen to the radio. I listen to weird stuff. I don't listen to popular radio. What's popular? Why Why is it popular? And then try to build off of that. Like, yeah, you know Blake Shelton liked Patsy Cline. There's no way he didn't grow up with Patsy Cline on his parents' radio. You know, trying to trying to work it back to, to stuff that, at least as old older people, near and 40, we'd be like, you know, this this mm-hmm. is this is real country. But I mean <laughs> pop country is country, whatever. I don't like it as much, but I'm not gonna tell a kid that their taste sucks. I mean, I would never do that. And we talked about this before we officially started the episode, I think, like that um, kids are weird and kids like weird things for reasons they don't even understand. They can't tell you why they like a song, but you could maybe help them figure out why they like a song. And adults are the ones that are like, it kind of goes back to like the whole Sonic Youth thing. If an adult is like, that's weird music. You shouldn't listen yeah. to that. Then they're not going to listen to it or they're going to rebel against you and go listen to it. Either way, it's like a bad thing to tell a kid that kind of art is not the correct kind of art. Yeah. And kids, kids don't prejudge music yeah. because they don't understand genre usually yet. yet. Right. Like, right. like an adult will be like, Oh, this is progressive house. I only like progressive trance. Sorry. Um, whereas like, like a, a kid doesn't even understand what either of those things are. They're just like, I like this, right. this, this sound. Oh, I also like this other thing. Like they just kind of, one of the wonderful things I think about sharing media with kids is that they, they just kind of accept it at face value without preconceptions for the most part. So, so you know, uh-huh. p- kids, I, I think pretty quickly, once they reach a certain age, start building those things up. But like something that I remember struggling with as I got older was um, whether the meaning of a song fit my life. And I, I remember it was when I was listening to green day, right when dookie came out that, that, yeah. that hit me. I was, I was like, I was like, this feels like, like I could, I, I could either relate or not relate to it. And, and before then, you know, I was, you know, like a little kid listening to the beach boys and I didn't care that I didn't go surfing um, right. I, I, I didn't care that like, it was kind of beachy sounding music and I didn't really live that close to a beach. Like it didn't matter. I just liked how it sounded. Um, I, I didn't need to like identify with it in a cultural or like ego sense. I could just listen to it. Like, this is cool. I like this. Um, yeah. or like, you know, Jan and Dean dead man's curve was, was, was one of my favorite songs, nice. um, as a kid. And obviously I was not doing any, any road racing. I, I was not out, you know, hot rod. <laughs> But I, I loved that song, and and specifically, 
I, I think I mentioned this in passing. I loved it. It sounded ominous. I liked a lot of ominous sounding, Ugh. like, um, like kind of like bassy, you know, like minor sounding uh, songs for for some reason that I can't like. I still can't explain. I still like music. Well, then that it, sounds like the, that, then it came up into and then you know led you to Black Sabbath. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. There, there, there is that theory that um, I, I think I think it's black metal. Uh, there's there's a YouTube video uh-huh. that explains that um, black metal and surf rock are basically the same, except <laughs> surf rock is is played like without any distortion. Um, but uh-huh. like like the actual like the actual like uh-huh. like fretting patterns and uh-huh. like fingerings that are being done are actually like very similar. <laughs> like, oh, totally. Those surf rock. I mean, those surf rock dudes. I mean, it goes back to Dick Dale, but. I've seen some surf rock bands where those dudes can shred. It's just a matter of you got clean guitar with like maybe some tremolo on there. You know, they're going crazy. And those black metal guys are, you know, they, they might murder each other more than the <laughs> surf rock guys. But yeah, that's, that's, that's hilarious. This sounds like a pretty funny video. Cause that, yeah, I never thought of that before, but that, but definitely it, yeah, it's funny the the tones of the guitar or how loud you play the drums can really take it from one genre to the next pretty quickly. <laughs> so you mentioned popular music, um, and this is so so. They might be giants is a band that uh, I was introduced to as popular music. My my dad growing up um, made a point of trying to keep listening to new music as it came out. Um, he was he he played in a lot of um just you know like bar bands basically as i was growing up and he was a guy who would just join any band you know he was in like a green day cover band for a little while oh Um, that's so man you had a dad in a green day cover band briefly yeah he he's a bass player primarily and so he'd be like yeah i like the bass lines in this this is cool um oh mike dern's bass lines are amazing and uh, you Dude, know, L- Longview was the first Green Day song I ever heard, and I heard it in school, not in music class. When I was in shop class, uh, that I was, I don't know, probably near cutting my thumb off on a <laughs> jigsaw or something. The shop teacher would let us put it on the radio, and Longview, it is so full of swears, but I mean, the radio edit or whatever, it was just like the local... Q101 Alternative Radio Chicago. And uh, that bass line came on, and I'm like, what is this? Like, this does not sound like the boom, 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 boom. But I'm like, what is this goofy thing? And then it gets loud, and the lyrics are obvious, like it's half bleeps. But I'm like, I kind of know what they're saying. <laughs> and then that just blew my whole world open. Anyway, yeah, just shout out to Mike Dern. He's an amazing, underrated bass player. And that's so awesome that your dad was learning. Uh, Mike Dirt bass lines that dude rules. Yeah, it's it's and I I remember thinking that thinking both that it was cool and also like realizing um that like I shouldn't think this is cool because like it's my parents, like they shouldn't be cool. But no, it, it was it, it was definitely cool. But Dad, Green Day is my band. Right. <laughs> but one of the bands that he was like um so so he was big in uh the Columbia House or whatever it is, the, the like Columbia Records Club. So was um, I. Yeah, yeah, and and so one he he made a point of ordering stuff off of like here's the new releases, and one of them was Flood by They Might Be Giants, uh, which oh, which yeah. of course uh, a brand new record from 1990, um, uh-huh. which which was definitely when I was listening to it. 
Um, and I, I remember he was like, somebody told me that this band is good. We should listen to this. Um, and I listened to it and I, I, you know, I would have been seven and I instantly loved it and I have never stopped loving them. And as my life has gone on, I've gotten like, like my, my trajectory has very much followed the path of people who are into, they might be giants. Like I, you know, (laughs) um, I was like, I was friends with all the theater kids when I was, uh, in high school and then I kind of hung out with like, you know, weird college guys who also were into exactly that sort of music. Um, so they, they were very much like one of the bands that was a soundtrack of my childhood. And as someone who does a They Might Be Giants podcast, I'm, I'm curious if that was the case for you too or if you found them somewhat later. Well, uh, the first time I ever heard them, and this is like half of my guests or at least anyone my age, I heard them first uh, on Tiny Tunes. Yes. They yes. So this is like any anyone who's even close to my age, they're like, "Yep, Tiny Tunes." You know, any <laughs> people who have already listened to the podcast and then come on as a guest, they're like, "Yeah, I'm another Tiny Tunes person. Sorry, it's the same story." So obviously, that was a really big gateway thing and a I mean, that was a smart decision on the band's part to put their songs even though Flood was not made as a kids album, other than your racist friend uh, most of the, even the implication, well, and having a song called Dead, I mean, <laughs> but k- kids can listen to sad songs, but like, there's their meanings, and one of the reasons that, that they're such a good band to have a podcast about is that the meanings of the songs is so open for interpretation and kind of tucked away between, like, in these metaphors and references and stuff where, like, a kid can, on the surface level, be like, oh, I love Birdhouse in your soul, it's so catchy. I have a secret to tell from my electrical well. It's a simple message, and I'm leaving out the whistles and bells. So the room well, do you know, have you ever seen Jason and the Argonauts? Have you ever seen that movie, kid? No. <laughs> Who cares? They don't need to have seen that movie. Do you know what the Longines Symphony, do you know what that's all about? Most adults don't even know what that is. I mean, I... We cracked the case when we did our live episode in Chicago. But um, you have to listen to that to find out. <laughs> um, the, <laughs> but, like, kids just like it because it's catchy. It's got a good beat. They like the vibe of it. But, like, I heard – so I heard Istanbul, which was – on. they made a Tiny Toons cartoon of that. And Particle Man, they made a cartoon of that, which was all, like, wrestling-themed. So I loved, I loved that one. And I'm doing it with my first graders now, so I'm exposing them to that Tiny Toons cartoon. Um, it's all full circle, baby. Doing the things a particle can. What's he like? It's not important. Particle man. Is he a dot or is he a speck? When he's underwater, does and, he get wet? Or does and Particle Man, I mean, I haven't done this episode yet, but as far as, 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 far as I'm concerned, my interpretation, it's about science versus religion. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you see it on the cartoon and you're like, Hey, triangle man, he's, you're not like, Oh, it's the Holy Trinity. You're like, Oh, he's got a triangle on his unitard and he's beating <laughs> and he's really up big. Pl- plucky duck. Yeah. He's beating up plucky duck, uh, you know, who's person man. And is he depressed or is he a mess? And like with my first graders, I'm like, do you know what depressed means? And they're like sad. And I'm like, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, kids get sad. I mean, you would hope at that young age they're not clinically depressed. It all depends what their 
home life is like and whatever else. And there are horrible things that I find out about my kids and I do music therapy with some of them too. That's a whole other podcast. Um, but like they like it for surface reasons and that's fine. And I did. I liked it for surface reasons and because the cartoon was cute and fun. And then it was really like two or three years later, I really got into them as like a band um, rather than just through a cartoon. But um, then as I grew up, I'm like, oh, Particle Man isn't about wrestling. You know, <laughs> so like, you know, you, I got into it through, through Tiny Toons. And then my friend who had older brothers and sisters. So instead of like, you know, your dad thinking Flood is cool. My, you know, my dad listened to cool music, but he, he, you know, he listened to the classic rock radio. Mm-hmm. That's what I was hearing. Um, so stuff that was maybe 10 years older than what was currently out um, and all good stuff. And I love a lot of that stuff, you know, to, ne- to I appreciate it more as an adult. But like it was my friend Patrick who appeared on the Anna Ng episode and the I Palindrome I episode. He's the one that got me into it because his brother and sister had gotten flood and then Apollo 18 had come out. And that was the first album I heard because he had just gotten it. We were totally just into punk rock and stuff. But he turns that on and Dig My Grave, the first track on Apollo 18, is like, it's a punk song. Yeah. And I was like, okay, this is like punk, but it's kind of different. And then it goes into I Palindrome I. I'm like, I don't know. This isn't this song isn't punk, but I like it. And then it goes into some, you know, they're just hopping genres all over the place. And I'm like, I'm having trouble keeping up with this, but it's short songs. It fits my short teenage attention span. Uh, They're weird. The lyrics are like cryptic in this way. I can't quite figure them out. And that mystery is is exciting to me. And even though I was listening to all this like ska from ska punk from the midwest and all this like skate punk from the bay area and you know i was listening to all this other stuff that sounded nothing like them they just kind of stayed on the outskirts of all of that and just slowly became my favorite band like i never kicked them to the curb like black sabbath i was like these guys aren't punk but there's something (laughs) there there's something weird there and i'm a weird kid I had a mohawk in high school. I had every color of the rainbow in my hair. They Might Be Giants never, as far as I know, dyed their hair. But there's something about these, like, nerdy guys who are making this weird music that's like, I just, it's like nothing else. And that appealed to me um, I think the as a little kid, first with Tiny Tunes, and then as a teenager with, you know, Apollo 18 and then John Henry. I think that the genre hopping is something that you find both in They Might Be Giants and in a lot of kids' music where they will hop genres. But I've just realized that I have I've charged directly into the subject of the episode without telling people what They Might Be Giants is for people who may not be familiar. I'm sure uh, you have you have determined that it is a band, uh, and you probably have have heard you know some of the songs that we have mentioned by now. But just just to set the stage, uh, they are a and I, I you know Wikipedia calls them an alternative rock duo i know that how you classify them is is much like the band primus somewhat up for debate uh but i think (laughs) i think that alternative rock is a fair fairly broad enough descriptor to fit them in they were formed in 1982 they have you know you know their twitter their twitter bio is treble kicking indie rockers there we go yeah i'll call them indie rock i mean they're on their own record label at this point they were on a major label for four albums but they put out their own shit they're essentially diy at this point yeah they're self-sufficient so for me 
They're indie rock. They're on an independent label, their own label. And and again, what I love about them and what I think makes them terrific kids music, and, and I, I have played They Might Be Giants extensively uh, for both of our kids um, from, from the very beginning, is is a lot of what you said like it's it's genre hopping it's weird um i have this theory that like kids music uh often or or the 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 music that kids will get into very easily often exists somewhere on one of two continuums or both and that is like fun or weird um and kids have a lot of tolerance for fun and they have a lot of tolerance for weird that oftentimes adults don't have where they'll hear something and be like this is this is strange what's going on here and kids often are like whoa this is weird this is this is cool um Mm -hmm. you know i i think uh something i remember liking a lot as a kid uh was anything that had kind of like xylophone in it because the xylophones like a little bit weird and it sounds like like in in the cartoons when they're playing on the bones with the hammer on someone's (laughs) cage it's it's a weird instrument anything that has has weird sounds and they might be giants makes use of a lot of weird sounds in both you know the thing that xylophone reminds me of is when scooby-doo would start running and you kind of like the wheels would spin under him be like (laughs) that was all xylophone really (laughs) i always thought that was that was like bongo you know well you know actually it depends on the i guess depends on the cartoon you would definitely hear some bongos bongos congas that kind of some Latin percussion obviously signifies running. I don't know. <laughs> you know, but you'd hear some xylophone and you'd hear, you know, like if you go to a dream sequence, it would be like glockenspiel, it'd be like a twinkly, you know, like identifying those instruments. And growing up on like classic Looney Tunes, it was all classical music. Like, and then you hear, I'd hear these songs in college in like, you know, music theory classes and be like, oh, kill the wabbit, kill the wabbit. That's mm-hmm. March of the Valkyries. You know, like the, you know, like the cartoons and and stuff expose kids to the weirdest and like classy things, but also weird things at the same time. You know, I mean, it goes back to what we're saying: expose kids to everything as long as it's not scarring them in some way in some sort of traumatic fashion. You know, you don't have to narrow it down all that much. And the genre hopping is something that appealed on the adult albums for they might be giants and they just continued on with the kids albums to do the same thing so on on that topic um you have kids or kid have you played they might be giants for your kid i I assume yes sounds like obviously um do you you lean towards the the kids albums the adult albums or do you just have like a giant playlist of everything that you just you just kind of like well um i mean i do have a I mean, obviously, I own all of their things on physical formats, usually multiple formats. Um, and I have, like, you know, a four-hour best-of-Spotify playlist, which has some kids' stuff, mostly adult stuff. Um, she has a little CD player Bluetooth thing in her in her nursery, and I keep all the kids' albums up there in her room. Um, so we'll listen to those sometimes up there. But if she's downstairs, anything goes. And if I'm listening to Sonic Youth or I'm listening to They Might Be Giants, she's just hearing whatever Mm -hmm. I'm listening to. And, I mean, it's all good. I mean, They Might Be Giants actually on um, a song on I Like Fun, their album from two years ago, they actually said shit for the first time. But it's totally in passing and you almost don't even (laughs) notice it. But for the most part, like, you son of a bitch, like, that is like, that's going to be the worst thing. So honestly, like... 
hell, bitch, bastard. Like, that's as bad as it gets. And even those are few and far between. She's listening to everything. I mean, really, the stuff I'm jamming on the most, well, thanks to this podcast I'm doing, is really digging into, like, the most obscure tracks, like all these old dial-a-song recordings from the 80s, these, like, crunchy, weird dubs of, like, these uh, cassettes off Flansburg's answering machine from, like, 1988, you know, or, like you know, like, uh, EPs that, that have kind of been forgotten about or, um, live tracks where they do variations. So she's hearing like, she's not just hearing the hits. She's, <laughs> she's like playing with her Duplos while I'm listening to like cast your pod to the wind, which was a limited, uh, limited edition of the else had a bonus disc that had all this stuff from their first podcast. Um, from the mid aughts. So she's hearing everything, and she has been exposed to more They Might Be Giants and more obscure They Might Be Giants than even most adult They Might Be Giants fans probably have <laughs> at this point. So to answer your question, everything. So so it's it's I'm glad I'm glad that you mentioned no. Um, you you shared a few songs that you specifically uh, like playing uh, with your first graders. Um, and one of them was Robot Parade off of the album No, which was their yeah. first, uh, f- their their first like full on kids album. Um, and I think that was in what 2002? Uh, two thousand two. Yes, yeah, two thousand two. Two thousand two. Um, and funny story about that. Uh, so so I bought that not knowing that it was a kids album. Um, and then I put it in to listen to with my dad. And, you know, in 2002, I was, I guess I would have been about, I, I guess I would have been 19. Um, yeah. and so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm driving along with my dad, uh, listening to a children's album and it takes us like yeah. three or four songs to be like, this is something weird is going on here. Like, this is a very strange concept <laughs> album that we're listening to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fibber Island, four of two robot parade is the third track. Yeah. No is the fourth track. Then track five is pretty significant. Where do they make balloons? That was the very first track that the Johns let one of the other guys write and sing. On the kids' albums, they will let the other guys write. And Danny Weinkoff, who I mentioned before, this was, I believe he said when I first talked to him and interviewed him for a Patreon episode, Where Do They Make Balloons was the, I believe, the first kids' song he ever wrote. So the Johns were like, hey, we're doing kids' albums now. You guys have any ideas? And so Danny Weinkoff wrote and sang that song. It was the first... I mean, other than, like, some of the fingertips and some weird instances where they had a guest vocalist, <coughs> it was the first time they that anyone other than John Flansburg or John Linnell wrote a song that came out on a They Might Be Giants album. So, um, what I like about their kids' music is that it is, it, it, it is still immediately apparent that it is They Might Be Giants' music it is not like like some some musicians um decide to make children's music and they kind of like lose their style or they lose uh-huh. their like distinctive yeah. sound and that is not the case at at all um with the, with the with they might be giants they really the only way in my opinion that you can you can really tell what their kids music is is that it tends to be a little bit obviously didactic not all the time but a, a lot of their stuff like here come the abc's here come the one two threes you can tell because it's like oh this is a song about the number three but 
they might be giants could just as easily have done a song about the number three on one of their adult albums. Like, and that, that would not well, have thrown me. So like, it's, well, and it's funny. Their song about the number three is triops has three eyes. And that's what I'm doing for the program. Are usually enough, but triops has got one that looks up and one that looks around and one to keep an eye on the other pair. And rather than just saying stuff about the number three, they're actually talking about the prefix tri, and um, what tri means, triangle, uh, you know, th- I mean, it goes through all these things, um, but it's talking about this weird creature, and kids love the cartoon, it does this little dance, and there's all these things about, you know, most things have two eyes, um, and tornadoes have an eye, and potatoes have an eye, <laughs> and like all these things that kids might think, potatoes have eyes, and then you as the dad would be like, well, yeah, these little dimples, those are called eyes. And then they learn something about potatoes too. You know, like it's just a weird, it's such a catchy song. John Darnielle from the Mountain Goats said on uh, the episode he was on, he he did uh, the song Apartment 4 mm-hmm. off the same album. But I said, dude, what about traps? And he's like, oh, don't get me started on traps. <laughs> I will be, he's like, I will be, I sing that in my sleep. I will be singing it in my grave. He's like, it is so catchy. And that's the thing. That's what makes their albums great is that their kids' songs are just as catchy and addictive as their adult songs. And, you know, maybe their songs aren't as much about death or like, you know, John Linnell's obsessed with people getting horribly injured. Mm-hmm. I was just talking to my mom is becoming more and more of a fan of They Might Be Giants lately, and she's always been exposed to them. But we were talking about a song called Contra Coup off the Else, which Contra Coup is a brain injury where if you hit the front of your head, you also damage the, the back of your brain because your, your brain bounces around mm-hmm. inside your skull. And that's what the song's about. Now, <coughs> sorry, um, <clears throat> they're not going to put a song like that on a kid's album. But Triops is just as catchy as Contra Coup, and the arrangement is just as cool, and it's just as much of a toe-tapper and just as awesome. It's just, instead of being about a horrible brain injury, uh, <laughs> it's about um, Tri and how Three and Tri and Tricycle and you know Triangle and all these things, you know, you're teaching kids about not just the number three, but about words and how you have, you know, bicycle, tricycle, you know, it's, it's, it's it's like, they're so sneaky. Yeah. It's, it's planting ideas that you will have at your disposal later that like you, your, your brain will suddenly dredge up at some later date and make these sudden connections. Um, even, even though like when you receive them, you do not understand exactly what the implication of, of them is like the 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 way that they associate things together is is so so interesting um yeah. and there's such as like a subtle build of again like it's some of their songs are very obviously didactic i i think that their their science songs are kind of the, uh-huh. the most like we're going to talk about a concept um but but even then like they are still subtly weird um and they mm-hmm. also they also do really kick ass, and they really they they still are like good songs, like like yeah, uh, like, like I'm Roy a paleontologist. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or, or Roy G. Biv are both like some of my favorite. They might be giant songs, just just period. Whether they're kids songs or or adult songs.
kids react to I'm a paleontologist and it's another Danny Weinkoff song. I mean, for being a guy who grew up on the Johns songs, you know, I, I've told Danny, um, and he's seen videos of my first grader singing this song. We're friends on Facebook. Yeah, you know, no big whoop. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I'm actually on his guest list for the May Chicago show. Um humble brag so i i've told him and he's seen videos and his wife saw a video and it's like what is that and danny's he's like oh that's uh this is this guy greg it's his, his music class his first grader singing paleontologist and his wife was like oh that is the best thing ever and i told him i'm like that is like their favorite song that and dr worm which is not off a kid's album those are their favorite songs and He's not one of the Johns. I mean, he writes some good songs, and I would highly recommend checking out uh, the Red Pants Band. Um, my choir has also done, um, uh, oh, Botany for an Earth Day program. Mm -hmm. And that's very, it's, I mean, kids might even not know what what kind of, it's about another kind of science, right? We got paleontologists, we got botany, we got botanists, right? It's another science song for his other band. And it's great and very educational. And kids, you know, they might already know about herbivores and carnivores, but they might not know about a uh, Pachycephalosaurus or whatever, you know. And but I can't help. I can't. I can barely keep them from screaming the chorus because they're so excited when it gets to the chorus. They just love it. It's so, so it's much. so energetic, and yet, like the production. This is this is something else that I I can I it it. I could recognize it, but I cannot expertly talk about it. Um, so you, someone who knows considerably more about production than me, I, I'm sure can can speak to this more intelligently. But their kids' songs sound like they are produced like adult songs. They do not have that kind of like clinky, clanky, right. like nursery sound. That yeah, even, even, right, yeah, right, yeah. I mean, they'll use glockenspiels in their adult songs, but they might also put them in a kid's song. There's not a division there. Well, I also have insight into that because I've also interviewed their drummer. Their, I've, well, I've interviewed all four of their drummers. Their current drummer, Marty, who's been in since... He was not on No, but he's been on the rest of the kids' albums. He came in... So when he was talking about joining the band, when he was talking about that to me... <clears throat> um, again, a, a Patreon episode. Go subscribe. Uh, the He talks about... How he came in, they were recording essentially uh, The Spine, which is an adult album, and here come the ABCs at the same time. Oh, wow. So the the Johns were writing songs for both. Um, you know, they had just gotten hired on by Disney. I mean, that was a Disney, I mean, that was a big, big deal for them. Obviously, No was successful enough that um, Disney hired them on to make kids' albums for their label, and... Um, and then, you know, eventually they went on. They do the the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse theme and Hot Diggity Dog. That's the MIP Giants. Uh, most people don't know that. But so they were recording. So Marty came in. He was the he was the newest member. Um, and this is 2003. And they're recording The Spine. And here come the ABCs, like, in the same studio sessions. Oh, wow. So, like, he's sitting at the kit. His drums are mic'd up. What song are we doing? Oh, we're doing Flying V? Okay, cool. Oh, we're doing um, Bastard Wants to Hit Me? Oh, cool. Obviously, one's on a kid's album, one's on an adult album, but they're just recording They Might Be Giant songs. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, some go to one album, some go to the other, but music-wise, at least, you know, really the only thing that's different is the lyrics. 
And even then, yeah, even then, a lot of them could, could then, go either way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> the Bloodmobile, for example. <laughs> um, <laughs> just having a song called the Bloodmobile on a kids' album. I'm just imagining some parent at like Barnes and Noble, like flipping through the kids' CDs, and they're like, "Oh, here comes science." The Bloodmobile. <laughs> Ew! I'll put that back. I, I what mean, what does that mean? Doctor Worm. <laughs> one of the other songs that you mentioned. Um, if if you asked me to just sort by like title and lyrics, I would probably and and I didn't know anything about they might be giants. I, I'm pretty confident that I would put Doctor Worm on the kids music side and not on the right. music side. Yeah, it came out five years before they put out no. You know, it it came out in 1997, um, and was a huge hit. I don't, you know, I, I I honestly don't know what was the impetus to them putting out a kids album. Though I do, John Linnell had a kid around that time, so that probably played a big part of it. Uh, Flansburg doesn't have any kids; he has cats. His Instagram is full of cats. <laughs> John John Linnell is a lot more private. Um, I don't think he even has Instagram. If he does, it's extremely private. Nobody knows about it. Um, but he, you know, he he mostly keeps to himself except when he's on stage, and he has at least one kid. He may have more, but his one kid appears briefly in the documentary about them, uh, "Gigantic: A Tale of Two Johns," which came out in uh, two thousand two. So right around no, um, I think it came out before no because Mink Car, uh, those songs, Mink Car came out on nine eleven, came out in two thousand one. And so then those were the newest songs when the documentary was made. And he's pushing around probably like a two-year-old boy in a stroller. I don't think he mentions his name, but, I mean, clearly it's his son. And his son says some funny things and, like, looks (laughs) into the camera. And so, you know, then they had a kid's album, like, very shortly after. So I think his kid must have been born in 99, 2000, maybe. Mm -hmm. And then they had a kid's album in 2002. So... Maybe he started writing songs at home and just like, you know, I mean, I don't know, often no, like I'm trying to imagine him just playing something on a little keyboard in the nursery or just in the living room in front of his kid. I don't know, playing or singing violin, lin, yeah. lin, violin, lin, like just <clears throat> acapella, just making up something like that and being like, hey, Flans, uh, should we just you know, do kids album. You want to give it a shot? You know, I don't know. It's just, it's totally cool to me. And it ended up being a very lucrative thing for them. They won a Grammy for here come the one, two threes. Their five best selling albums are flood. And then four of the kids albums. <laughs> oh, wow. I, so, I didn't realize it was that. That, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Floods their only platinum album. And then they have uh, four gold albums, which are, uh, I don't think why made it to gold, but I think no, and then all the Here Come mm-hmm. albums, one, two, three, ABCs, and Science all went gold. Now, yeah. Now, <laughs> yeah. now speaking of uh, John Linnell, here's a weird one that's not technically, the, they might be giants, but um, from the movie Coraline, John Linnell, of mm. course, wrote and sang the Other Father song um, yeah. and is, is the singing voice of uh, the character um, Other Father slash the, the father who is voiced, I believe, by John yeah. Hodgman. Um, yes, and also a, f- a fan of the band. Yes, yeah, of, of of course, of course. I mean, I I think well, that... I will get on the podcast someday. Yeah. <laughs> it will happen. Um, 
I for for the longest time I did not realize that that was not John Hodgman singing because John Linnell's singing voice sounds exactly like I would imagine John Hodgman's singing voice to be. Um, right. I'm sure it's not, but like it's it seems seamless. plausible. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's such a short song, but I really love that. I mean, it's like 18 seconds long or something. I I, I really love that <laughs> that little piece of of music. It's a great little scene. Yeah. And again, that movie, they were supposed to have done pretty much the whole soundtrack for that. Oh. Um, and they wrote a whole bunch of songs. There's actually, um, they wrote like, uh, how am I forgetting already? This episode came out in December that I did about a song. Because um, in the Else, the Else came out shortly after Coraline, I think the year after. And there was a song, or two years after. And there's a song called... Um, Careful what you pack, which was going to be in the movie. Oh. Careful what you pack. Uh, you're the new girl. It was about essentially about her going over to this other world, you know, and running away from the real world and going over to this other world, um, which ended up being you know kind of a scary place. All this, you know, um, but that song was written for the soundtrack, and apparently they wrote like eight other songs but the director um henry selick henry henry selick um kind of took it in a different direction or something and so they've said that those other songs will probably not see the light of day because they wouldn't make any sense but people are like just release (laughs) those songs we want to hear those songs so it was just the other father song and then careful what you pack which made it onto the else um which was i think tweaked after it was you know, booted off the movie. Um, but they were supposed to have written like pretty much the whole soundtrack. That's really wild. I, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not a musical by any stretch of the imagination. So like I, I, I probably get, mostly background songs. Yeah. I, guess. I, I mean, I, I get why there's not like a big emphasis on, on the, the music ultimately, but that, that is one of those things where, I mean, I, 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 I would love to hear those songs. Um, because again, that, that little snippet that we get is, is, is wonderful. And that, that actually is a, is a movie that we have not yet, uh, shown to, I, I actually, I started showing Coraline to our older daughter about a year ago and, and she wasn't, she yeah. wasn't into it. It wasn't that it was scary. She's just like, I, I think it took too long to get weird. I bet that she sure. would be into it now. Um, too much of a slow build. Yeah. I mean, the, the I mean, the attention span of, you know, a rule of thumb for teachers that I picked up, I don't even remember from who, is that whatever the kid's age is, when you're teaching a lesson, so I, you know, typically my classes are half hour, if the kid is seven, don't do any one thing for more than seven minutes, <laughs> move on to something else. So that's like, so if your kid is four and the thing doesn't get really, really cool in four minutes, they're probably going to want to do something else. You know, that it doesn't it doesn't always apply, and it depends on the kid for sure. <laughs> yeah, totally. But as a teacher, as a lesson planning idea, you know, with a fifth or sixth grader, you might be able to do like cover two things. Like you're going to work on a couple songs, and you're going to play some drums and work on rhythms. But with first graders, you got to have like 
five or six different things queued up. We're going to do this. Then we're going to learn this. Then we're going to learn about this. Then we're going to listen to this. And because, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm guessing, you know, you, you said your oldest is, is four, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe, you know, soon. I mean, what other movies is uh, is she into? Oh man, uh, I, I mean, I mean, a ton, a, a ton. Um, obviously, but a- anything she's... other than like anything other than like a quote unquote kids movie. Um, so yes and no. Um, gosh, there's 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 definitely a couple that you wouldn't necessarily count as like a a kids movie. Um, mm-hmm. She's very into Miyazaki films, which are one of those things that's like, are they kids' movies? Well, yes and no. Mostly yes, off sometimes no. Um, some of those can be very slow moving, and she's very into My Neighbor Totoro, which is probably the closest that Miyazaki gets to just doing a straight up kids' movie, but it's a very slow build. Really, not much happens for the first like, 15, 20 minutes of that film. She loves it, even though there's very little going on. Um, another another strange one that that she likes that actually has some very interesting and good music is um, the uh, the Rankin Bass uh, Hobbit and Lord of the Rings movies, oh. um, which which ha- she's very into that one. It, it comes and goes. She'll get into it for like two weeks at a time and then kind of forget about it for a while. But sure, there's a there's a kind of weird disco e song. Uh, down down to Goblin Town, which actually has <laughs> vocals uh, by Thurl Ravenscroft, who also sang uh, "You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch," and uh, the oh. voice of Tony the Tiger, and he's doing a very deep. Oh, oh wow! Yeah, that's fantastic. I did not know. I love finding out about voice actor stuff, so like like everyone that you know that Billy West voices. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a huge. I'm a huge Simpsons and Futurama fan, obviously, but. Um, yeah, it's just finding out that that's amazing. The Tony the Tiger and the Grinch and that Rankin Bass, the music in those is is fantastic. It's so funny because it has it has like the disco beat that like like it's it's such a neat little. It it doesn't doesn't fit like a Hobbit movie at all. But I grew up with it, and so to me it does. Um, but she will randomly start singing down, down to Goblin Town in the deepest voice yeah. that she can manage being for, which is yeah. not very deep. But <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's great. There, there are there are uh, before we run out of time. Um, I, there were there were two other things I, I wanted. It's to a make... school night, man. I, I know. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. I'm I I have trouble. I mean, these are they might be giants, and teaching music to kids are two things that. I told you in advance in the emails. I'm like, you're gonna have to just stop me. Like, if you need me to shut up, just tell me. To shut up. I will go. <laughs> no, no, not at all. You know, Obviously, you know, these we, are, we two are a very free roaming podcast, um, and you know, it's you. You are one of the first uh, pedagogues that we have have had. That sounds wrong uh, <laughs> on the podcast. Um, you know, and I will definitely come on again if you want to talk about non they might be giant stuff because I sent you a huge email of links to stuff. You know, if you want to do one about folk music, more about folk music later, I'd love to hear more about that camp you went to. I mean, if down the road, if you want to do another one, non they might be giant songs. I'm totally game for it. If you want, I would, back. I would, I would love to talk about that. Uh, absolutely, and we should definitely, we should, we, we should definitely plan that. Um, I, I wanted to mention as a suggestion of maybe where to go next for not quite adult, not quite kids music. 
um, mm-hmm. that have also produced kids stuff is another band that we have uh, made extensive use of in our, our parenting, which is uh, the Aquabats. Of course, yeah. the late 90s <laughs> um, ska punk uh, band that uh, explicitly also has like a kid's cartoon or like a kid's like yeah. variety show. Yo Gabba Gabba was just like genius. You know, that dude, you know, I also, okay, so I also, um, I would love to get, I'm sure he's a They Might Be Giants fan. Um, what's, what's uh, Christian, what's MC Bat Commander's real I, name? I cannot, I, I cannot recall. Um, but I, I mean, he's, he's also Christian does uh, Yo Gabba Gabba. Oh yeah. It's a, yeah. And I mentioned Ska earlier. I was totally into Ska in high school. I love the Aquabats. I loved um, Fury of the Aquabats. Mm-hmm. Travis Barker, before he joined Blink-182, drums on that album. It is so good. I mean, all their stuff is great. I saw them at the Warp Tour in, like, 99 or whatever. So good. And, um, yeah, it totally goes both ways. I mean, they don't swear. Those guys, I mean, MC Backmander, he's Mormon, so they got a thing. No swearing. All that, you know. So it's super clean by default. But just, like... The cat with two heads. <laughs> oh, the cat with two heads. You can pet one kitty's head and then pet the other kitty's yeah, they, head. Yeah, they even have like the, <laughs> like the kids' album skits and like the weird little humor bits. Um, uh, Attack by snakes is like that. That is basically a kid's oh, song. Man. Like, um, God, that whole album just super rad. Oh yes, was, like my theme song. Like as a teenager, because it was just like. I'm a dork and I don't care. This is how I'm living my life and it's super rad. And, you know, this these girls are like are dorks and they're super rad. You know, who cares? You know, we're having fun. We're out there skateboarding, uh, you know, just being you know up to general mischief but still being, you know, the goody two-shoes kids. It totally spoke to me as like this is cool because it's related to punk and they're talking about some cool stuff. But they're also total nerds. They're dressed up like superheroes. They're talking about cartoons, whatever else. Like it spoke to like the duality of me of being like a punk rocker, but also being like a kid who didn't make much trouble. Yep. You know, it's just you know, total nerd. The one the <laughs> the song that we use the most in our house is Pizza Day. Um, because it's a good way yeah. to encourage them to eat you know, pretty generic kids' food. That's like part of the premise of the song. But in a very they might be giants way, um, that it didn't hit me until I, I listened to it again when I was in my twenties. That's it's a very sad song, actually. The whole premise of the song yeah. is, you know, initially just talking about the school lunches that they used to eat and how it was like part of their, you know, school routine, and then they like drifted away from it and they would just eat junk food and hang out with their friends. And then the last verse is about how now they're grown up and they have to get a job. Uh, they're, they're, they're a slob. <laughs> Um, and, uh, uh, they miss the simplicity and the joy of having something like pizza day to look forward to. That was just like a thing that was coming up that you were excited for just because it was good and had no greater significance in your life. And then, uh, I had pizza tonight. What's it was great. Yeah. Pizza is, pizza (laughs) is delicious. Even, even crummy pizza that you get served in a, you know, school lunch cafeteria. And then I I always forget that at the end of that song is the weird, like monologue about like, these are the forces that bring the kids together, modern school industry. And then there's like a weird thing (laughs) about Michael Jackson. And I I always forget that it goes on for like 45 seconds at the end of the song. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm just looking at the all music page for the fear of the Aquabats. And man, Magic Chicken, oh my God, Popeye! 
guys, we got the chicken. Oh my god, the Aquabats are great, and I I really should get more of their later catalog because I kind of after Floating Eye of Death, I know I had Charge, but I don't think I ever heard High Five Soup or it's all it's it's I all pretty good. That. It goes in a little less of a ska direction and kind of goes in a bit more of like a I don't even know what you would call it dance punk like a almost. power pop yeah power, power pop, pop kind of synth a lot of synths and stuff right yeah 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 um is a uh, fashion zombies is off of Charge isn't it I I believe uh let's see Charge fashion zombies. Yes, track two. Yeah, so so we listened to uh, we listened to a lot of that album. Um, we definitely listened to uh, some High Five Soup too, though. It's it's all it's all good, and yeah, there it's all very like kid appropriate. It may or may not make any sense to a kid, but it's all boisterous. It's all fun. Um, they actually recently, somewhat recently, put out an album that is all the songs that they did uh, from the uh, the the Aquabats Super Show. Um, yeah, I saw that. And that too, has very thing. much the feel of like a They Might Be Giants kids album because mm. it's stuff about like, yeah, doing science, doing science. Um Yeah. I just look I just figured out another mashup we should do. Uh so they have a song on charge called Mechanical Ape. I can't remember what it sounds like. <laughs> but They Might Be Giants have a kid song called My Brother the Ape. Oh yeah. So it seems like My Brother the Mechanical Ape should be a thing as a mashup <laughs> <laughs> and then boris the spider with spider of uh off apollo 18 he is our hero <laughs> must stop <laughs> all right man well i could i could yeah, def- I, I could easily go on all, all night oh, totally. talking about about they might be giants um but uh you know r- wrapping things up um you know it, it goes without saying uh you i i, I think you said it perfectly early on greg that you know you don't need to just play you know nursery rhymes for kids there is a world of adult music and like crossover music that you won't you know hate listening to hundreds of times um you can you can arrive at a truce where you won't feel like you are playing grindcore for your three-year-old uh, but but you know you'll you'll feel like you you can both learn something about paleontology. I certainly didn't know what Pachycephalosaurus was before I started listening to that song. I was like, oh, and, and now I've heard yeah. it a hundred times, and I know what it is. And actually, like, oh, it's the one where they butt their heads together. That's what it's called. And it featured in a very scary scene in uh, the the Land Before Time, which we talked about previously oh. previously on this show. Um, the the last the last they might be giants anecdote that I will share is um, there are two songs that have helped me pass a test. And one of them is a typo negative song, uh, Who Will Save the Stri- uh, Who Will Save the Sane, which features um, pi in it to the eighth or ninth digit, uh, 3.14159265.3, and it's in the lyrics. And so I, I always remember that, and I used that uh, to my advantage once when I didn't have a calculator and I was able to get close enough to yeah. the answer. Um, and the other one is, uh, nice. I don't remember, it, it was in American History, and the song James K. Polk mm-hmm. uh, helped me pass that test because it was it was one of the other people <laughs> that he ran against. And, and it was like, who who was one of the other people who ran in? Was it 1846 or 18, I forget what what actually in year. 1844, 1844. the Democrat. Well, yep. the primaries. 18, yeah, so yeah, I I know more about Polk. Well, also my wife studies um, 
primarily Mexican and Mexican-American literature from around that same time. So, like, Polk is, like, a major figure in stealing land yeah. from Mexico, essentially. So I know more about Polk than, like, any other president other than maybe the ones from my lifetime. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> that song, it just makes, it sticks with you, man. Yeah, and it, once it's in the lyrics and you have the beat, you can, you can like, just kind of talk your way through it. And now you know the events of the primaries of 1844 and where what 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 other <laughs> band is going to teach you that I know I can't tell you who like JFK ran against or he who he was you know before he got the the nod for you know being the democrat uh you know the the nominee uh but I could tell you who Polk ran you know it just it doesn't just tell you about his presidency it tells you about Prius presidency. <laughs> I mean, it really gets into it. And that episode, actually, it was just ousted as the longest episode of my podcast. It, it had held it for almost a year at two hours and 15 minutes with uh, two of my really good friends, for one. So we were super chatty. But my friend who is now, he's a lawyer, uh, but he was a history major in undergrad. And he just went on and on. I mean, we're, we were also, uh, all three of us are flaming liberals so it went we, you know it went into a whole trump discussion but even the stuff like steve goes and he doesn't exactly fact check because there's nothing that's exactly wrong but he's like well this wording is a little off you know he didn't exactly um build the independent treasury he he redesigned and re he reinstated like and i'm like oh steve you're such a dork but it was perfect to like um even add a little more bit to you know to this song that already taught me so much and he's like well i could tell you more about james k polk i'm like okay steve go in like 20 minutes later he's still <laughs> talking about james k polk yeah it, it, it's a pretty great episode just got bested by the someone keeps moving my chair episode oh, in two hours and 25 two hours and 25 minutes <laughs> <laughs> well greg ridiculous it has been yeah. an absolute delight having you yeah, on the show um, where can people find more of your content out there? Where can't they? Um, so yeah, this might be a podcast. We have um, this might be a podcast.com. I need to update more, but if you um, so we're hosted through punknews.org as well as my other podcast, which is called Best Midwestern, which isn't nearly as um, fruitful right now because uh, I have a co-host who currently has an exact opposite work schedule of mine. Um, but Best Midwestern, we've done a state-by-state project uh, music going back to like Native American music from every state um, in the Midwest, um, which Pennsylvania is not one of them. Sorry, not a Midwestern <laughs> state. Uh, <laughs> Got to go to Ohio for that. But this might be a podcast. We put out an episode every week as well as a Patreon episode at least once a month. Um, you can find us on Apple podcasts, you know, Google play, Stitcher, Spotify, all of those places. Uh, we have an Instagram, we have a band camp with covers that I've done and friends have done. This might be a podcast.bandcamp.com to listen to stuff. The most recent episode that just would have come out is our, it was our third live episode from Bloomington, Indiana. They'll need a crane. Um, one of their early hits off their second album, um, I had a live episode with a round table and a, a musical portion afterwards. Uh, it nearly killed me, but it was awesome. So that just came out. And then another song, actually, we didn't talk about that's off an adult album that could be off a kid's album if you took out the word damn. Um, no one gives a damn. We're the Mesopotamians. <laughs> that, Asher Bonifal. That song. Yeah, that fantastic song, fantastic video. 
Um, they love when the guy's jaw falls off. Kids love weird shit. That episode will be coming out um, probably shortly after this episode airs. So this might be a podcast. Find us on punknews.org or any podcast platform. Thank you so much for having me on, Kurt. This was uh, this was a lot of fun, and it, it it getting to talk about two things that I love. So um, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, and th- thank you so much uh, for for coming on. Like I said, it ha- it has been a blast. Uh, would love to have you on back some sometime uh, to talk about more music stuff, or even hell, you know, not not non music stuff too. Uh, yeah, anything you know, and I mean, we just we didn't touch on like we barely touched on the we folk. We barely thing. scratched the surface so of it. There's a ton. That of it. could be the focus of the next one. Whenever you want to do it, just uh, drop me a line. I'm down. I'm up for. We'll it. make it happen. Yeah, man. Cool. Well, thanks everyone for listening to Parents Just Don't Understand. Have a great one. O Cheers. Is for orange, Y is for yellow, and G is for green. P is for blue, I for indigo, B is for violet. That spells Roy G.